Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Uh, well guys, um, singing a little bit of a different tune this week than we were last week when it comes to uh, Northwestern basketball. Let's let's put it this way. We're no longer burdened by trying to figure out whether or not Northwestern's going to make the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can pretty much uh, cross that one off the list. Well, with the exception of if we make a miraculous run through the Big Ten tournament. But uh, aside from that, you know, that, you know, that's pretty much that. I mean, we talked last week. Um, going to Maryland, going to Rutgers, you know, those, we needed to win those two, um, then try to figure out a way to beat Michigan state before finishing up the regular season with, uh, some, some winnable games, um, Wisconsin, Iowa, Maryland again, cause we would have just beaten them, but, uh, we get out to Maryland last Saturday and basically don't even show up. We lost 73 to 57. And then last night in Piscataway. We have, what, a six-point lead with a minute to go. Uh, Rutgers ties it up. We can't get uh, a shot at the buzzer. And then just we didn't even come off the bench in overtime. Uh, Lost by nine. And, you know, know, to that point, McIntosh did miss most of the second half and all of overtime uh, with what looked like a pretty annoying shoulder injury. Yeah, I mean he's so he's not been right all year. I think we've I think we've known that we've you know he I think he had an ankle issue at one point. The, the shoulders you know was a problem uh, last night. He certainly didn't look very good against Maryland. His shot was a disaster. He didn't score in that game. Um, it's really hard to imagine Northwestern winning without any scoring from Bryant McIntosh. And I you know actually Saturday was the first day I really watched college, college basketball in earnest. I, you know, I was, I had the Maryland Northwestern game on and then I uh, watched most of Xavier Creighton as well. But you know, the cats somehow had, you know, with McIntosh not being able to hit anything and just with crazy turnovers all over the place in the first half, somehow clawed their way back in that game and made it, you know, single digits at the half. And they, you know, Scotty Lindsay was playing pretty well. Pardon was doing a nice job, and in the second half, they just they just couldn't shoot. Um, you know, the Cats were below forty percent for the game uh, overall. They were below forty percent from three. They were below eighty percent from the from the stripe. Um, just like the wheels coming off. And then against Rutgers, the Cats looked pretty decent until McIntosh was out, and they just couldn't they couldn't run the offense the, the way that they like to. And and when McIntosh's shot isn't there, it, it, it allows defenses to collapse a little bit more to focus more on Lindsay at the three point line. Um, McIntosh all year hasn't been able to get to the rim. Like we saw him do last season, even his floater has, has been a struggle at times. So just, I, it just feels like everything going, going the wrong way for this team. And I, I don't, I don't know that it's fair to say they didn't, they didn't show up in either case. Cause I felt like there were, stretches in both of those games where they were they were if not looking great at least getting it done and ultimately they just too many guys are banged up uh, Jordan Ash I think missed both both games um so it just I don't know it just it feels more like a uh 
kind of the last gasp, the last death rattle, if you will, uh, of a team that's kind of been beleaguered all year as opposed to um, a situation where they're giving up. It's tough to, but, you know, I, I kind of hate to speak in generalities like this, but um, a team that really kind of toughness was such a mark of the team last year. And again, I feel like we're always circling around to like Sam J. Lumpkin as this talisman. Um, that we had last season, but well, uh, I mean, the yeah, evidence, right? No, I know, but I think one of the clearest ways is this team is so bad on the road this year. Um, you can look at team, you know, we've we yeah, we got to win at the Cole Center, uh, we got to win up in Minneapolis. Those two teams, though, Minnesota and Wisconsin, are seven and twenty-two in the Big Ten this year, and you know whether it be a neutral court or on the road. I mean, we've taken absolute drubbings at the hands of Oklahoma, Texas Tech, Penn State, Indiana, um, Maryland, and then, uh, you know, a loss to a just flat-out bad Rutgers team. Um, It's just away from home. I mean, not that this team has lit the world on fire at home, but, you know, that Michigan win was an example of a game that, you know, that, that was a team that handled us when we went to their place. And I kind of feel like, you know, it's weird to say because it's, you know, all state arenas by no means Welsh Ryan, but, um, this is a team that just does not inspire confidence on the road. And yeah, like injuries have factored into that and everything, but I think it's just one more thing you can fold into the, the, the overall theme of just not hitting the expectations this year. And wasn't it the wasn't it the opposite case last year where we had like we were struggling to win the big games at home and it was on the road that the that the team had looked pretty good. Yeah, it um, seemed like they were just much looser on the road last year and like they were winning games that you know we didn't think they should be winning. Oh, there were those two bad losses in February at Illinois and at Indiana, but but before that like winning at Wisconsin, um winning at Ohio State, at Rutgers, at Nebraska, at Penn State, yeah. It's weird too because I honestly think, you know, as as the failure to meet ex- expectations has kind of gobbled at the psyche of this team. I mean, you can look back to, I mean, we went on the road to Purdue really early in the year and played them really tough, right? And then on the flip side, we hosted Creighton really early in the year and played them really tough. Um, and in both cases, there was kind of an offense that just isn't there this year. But I, but I do believe, you know, as this thing has kind of come off the rails, it, it just has snowballed really quickly, you know, mentally on these guys. And it's tough because they sort of had a little bit of a win streak going there. And now it's, it's kind of all come unglued. And now suddenly, you know, tourney hopes are pretty much going out the window, but, the NIT is by no means a done deal here. I mean, this this is a team that needs to kind of find it, at least at home down the stretch, to kind of put together the kind of resume that's going to ensure postseason play. You know, I, I wonder, you know, it, it you, know, you, so, you, you mentioned it earlier, like McIntosh hasn't looked right. And, you know, it really goes back to that knee injury that he had um, at, at right at the end of last year against Brown, I think it was. Um, and you know, you gotta wonder, I know he missed a a few games, but did he come back too quickly or, you know, is he trying to push it where he really should have been shut down another week or two? Um, but you know, the team couldn't do anything without him. You know, he came back maybe, maybe a little sooner than he should have. I don't know. I mean, uh, definitely not a doctor. I can't, 
speak to that uh, firsthand. But uh, you know, it definitely seems like you know, like you said, he's been off most of this most of the season. Yeah, well, and, and for better or worse, um, he's Collins's guy, and yeah. Collins has leaned on him big time the last three years. Three years ago, he, you know, and even, you know, in his freshman year and, and, and sophomore year, he just, he didn't have the stamina to get through the whole season with, with, uh, the, what was put upon him by the coaching staff last year, it worked to great effect. McIntosh was brilliant down the stretch and it's arguably a lot of what put the cats in the tournament and, and certainly what allowed them to perform so well in those first two games. And now this year, you know, a, a knee injury and, maybe just, you know, a lack of confidence shooting the ball, uh, whatever it is, this is, you know, this is the, the flip side of that coin where the Cats can't seem to um, rebound from it. And whether, you know, I think I think you can ask some questions about depth and, and you know, did they effectively prepare someone to, to be his backup? You know, a- Anthony Gaines is basically playing in that role as a true freshman, um, is having, you know, moments of, of excellence, especially, you know, defensively and then moments where um where he's he's making you know the wrong the wrong the wrong play i think there there were two cases last night one where uh he he did not hit falzone in rhythm when falzone got behind the the three-point line and went for what would have been the game winner and then uh, or not not the game winner but would have sealed the win for the cats would have put him up two possessions with like eight seconds left uh or 12 seconds left or something um and then after Rutgers hit their game tying three. Gaines tore off down uh, down the court, or no, no, no. This was at the end of overtime. He tore off down the down the court um, and and threw the ball to Skelly in the corner to shoot a to shoot a three right before the buzzer. Instead of calling timeout and giving the Cats you know four or five seconds to set up a play, which is clearly what Collins wanted to happen. So um, this is you know this is the price you pay when your senior point guard goes down and you don't have a a, a fill in right behind him and I just I don't know just is what it is and I you know Sam or John you mentioned the NIT like yeah our hopes don't look good even if we made a tournament like that um if we're playing with a, with a hobbled Macintosh it's scary I mean you you look and already I mean the minimum amount of games that this core group of guys has left is five um the the end of the season is rapidly running up on us and it's so weird you know I I kind of think, and we've talked about this before, but Scuzz, you're and I's senior year, which was the year following the Big Ten season, where a team that still had Zach Kustak and still had Damian Anderson and still had Sam Simmons um, just fell on its face. And this season is kind of turning into the same kind of thing where it's just this weird afterthought. And kind of like that Big Ten season, um, back when we were in school, people will kind of remember it you know, almost have this distorted view of it of, yeah, those guys achieved this big goal and then they all graduated. And it's like, well, no, they didn't all graduate. They were all there the year after that. And it just didn't come together. And, you know, compounding it with us, you know, playing out in Rosemont and and you've got this monster recruiting class coming in. I mean, Inside NU has uh, a bunch of Jordan Lathan, Pete Nance, and Miller Cop highlights up this weekend. Boy, oh boy. I mean, I... I encourage you all to watch them if you are looking for a silver lining here. But, um, I mean, because those three guys are the real deal. If you watch those videos, one of the things that will jump right out is Miller Cop 
maybe a lot better than a lot of people maybe even realize and is a guy who's going to come right in ready to, to score in buckets. And I, I kind of feel like with these three guys who are blue chip recruiting rankings, all look the part on video. They all look like guys who will probably start right away. And the changing of the guard is going to come so fast. And it's just putting this this group of guys in this really weird spot where it's almost like, you know, the like the fan base is almost just ready to turn the page on this unit and be like, hey, you guys accomplished this big dream last year, but it's obviously not coming this year. But again, yeah, it's like you're, we've got this Michigan State team looming. Um, and then, you know, we've got Maryland, Wisconsin, and Iowa, three very winnable games at home to finish it out. But, you know, this team's really going to need that kind of momentum and probably pick up a game in the tournament um, to solidify um, a postseason berth that we would actually accept. Yeah, I mean, John, you took the words right out of my mouth. It's like, you know, let's not forget that Nance, Cop, Lathan, and Ryan Young, let's not forget about him too. Um, you know, these guys are would not be coming here without the contributions of the graduating seniors. For sure. You know, right. without the Macintosh, without the Vic Laws. Um, you know, that next year's recruiting class doesn't happen without the guy, these guys here. It's a bummer that it, it kind of fell apart, you know, this season. And, you know, we, we don't want to rehash all of the reasons why, because we've been doing that the past few weeks, but, uh, you know, it, it's a bummer it happened, but, brand new building next year this insane recruiting class you know three of the top four recruits we've ever seen uh at northwestern um are all coming next year so the the future is definitely bright i mean let's you know, hopefully that this is the weird anomaly you know the the year after kind of hangover they couldn't quite kick that until it was a little bit too late and then injuries started piling up the rosemont it may Again, don't want to go too deep into the reasons why. Um, otherwise, you're just rehashing what we've been talking about forever. But you make the good point, though, where it's like we're out in Rosemont because of this renovation. Next year, there's going to be this shiny, new, beautiful facility, all this great new talent, and people are just going to happily turn the page. And it's just going to be so weird where it's like this is going to be this lost season that is just lost in time. And, and 10 years from now, people revisit it with, you know, I mean, it's like, we're trying to put our finger and I think Scuzz in particular has done a good job of kind of putting his finger on some of the specific problems, but it's kind of hard to, to boil it all down right now. And 10 years from now, it's going to be impossible. And everyone's going to be like, uh, yeah, it's just weird stuff happened and we made the tournament and then something happened. And then this big recruiting class came in. It's just, it's a weird place to be. You know, speaking of other uh, Northwestern programs that uh, had achieved greatness and uh, kind of fell off a little bit um, and, you know, might be looking to return to glory, uh, let's turn our attention to the uh, women's lacrosse team. Um, you know, two games into the season already, uh, lacrosse is looking amazing. Uh, taking out, I mean, granted, Canisius and Detroit Mercy are not uh, the who's who of women's lacrosse, but uh, 18 to seven over Canisius 21 to two over Detroit mercy. Um, just the first two weeks. That's an, a, a really great way to start. And, you know, kind of looking at the, the season upcoming for the cats, you know, there, there's some really 
tough opponents coming up. Um, you know, we're recording this on Wednesday the 14th. Uh, tomorrow, or today, is, as you, if you're listening to it the day this drops, uh, we, we take on Colorado, a uh, team that's, you know, coached by a former Northwestern uh, athlete, uh, you know, part of the Kelly Amante Hiller tree. Uh, you can see those programs popping up all over the country. But uh, Colorado will come in ranked number 19. Um, you know, one of just many ranked opponents we're going to be seeing this year. And, you know, I, I, I guess I didn't realize how much we missed Selena Lasota last year. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's the bottom line, right? The Cats were 11 and 10 last year. They didn't even make the postseason. Um, they couldn't. They couldn't score. And through those first two games that you cited, Selena Lasota is our is our leading scorer with six goals. Um, it's uh, it's huge. She's she's a offensive. Um, she's an off a, a, a single point of offensive explosion and uh, immediately makes the Cats so much better. Um, you know, what's interesting when you go back to last year, the Cats had a pretty decent defense and they were really good on draw controls. Uh, Shelby Fredericks, who is uh, returning as a senior this year, was outstanding. I think she set a record for uh, for Northwestern in terms of draw controls one. And if you recall, um, you know, the, the years where we won uh, seven national championships, a huge hallmark of those teams was the ability to get the ball uh, in the draw control and then own possession. And uh, it allowed the cats to really control the pace of play. Uh, they they would you know set up their their big time players Shannon Smith, um, Kristen Gelman, others to uh, to score. But they were winning games you know eleven to nine and and uh, ten to eight those sorts of things. Obviously the game has changed a bit. There's a lot more athleticism in in women's lacrosse now. Um, but the fact that the cats return all but two players. Uh, a solid defense. Fredericks is back, and now they've got not just Lasota on offense, but um, two outstanding incoming players in uh, super recruit Brennan Dwyer and in uh, Danita Stroop's younger sister, Brianna. Uh, they've actually got some depth on the scoring line, too. And, and this is, to me, this is really what has been absent the last two seasons, and it puts Northwestern as a much more uh, well rounded version of their former selves that I think is going to really be able to compete in the big 10 and nationally uh, for all you hot for all you hockey nerds out there. Um, our, our Corsi is off, off the charts right now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. John. It, it, John, John is that, that was, yeah, that's went so far over my head. I'm watching it go through the clouds <laughs> right now. Well, one of the things that's kind of fascinating to me is just, I mean, lest we forget, Along with Maryland, Northwestern and Maryland have had stretches of dominance in this sport that, with the exception of UConn women's basketball, haven't really been replicated in any other sport, men's or women's. Just monster stretches where for half a decade or longer, one team has absolute dominance over the sport. Maryland did it. We did it. Um, and our just massive run of dominance terminated right around the time we were starting our podcast, Westlaw Pirates, about six years ago. And it, it's really interesting to me for a couple of, of reasons in terms of like the way the way the dominance expresses itself, but the way the kind of pressure. Because on one hand, you know, when you're talking about national championships and competing at that level – 2012, which I believe was our last national championship, yep. is suddenly a long time ago. I mean, you're talking 
for um, a recruit coming out of high school right now. They were, you know, in, in low middle school the last time Northwestern was winning championships. And that may not seem like a big deal for the vast majority of sports. I mean, obviously, most Northwestern sports would kill for a run like Northwestern women's lacrosse had. But when you're competing at that level, that suddenly becomes a huge gulf of time. And, and you know, you find yourself under the pressure of, of competing at that level. And, and last season, you know, you have an 11-10 season and, and it's viewed as a disaster. Um, and then on the other side, you have these flip things like someone like Brennan Dwyer, Scuzz, who this is someone who was all state all four years in high school, scored 400 goals, <laughs> like just under 400 goals in high school. Someone in another sport like football, I don't care if she's in Evanston. We never get her. Um, this is someone who's just a five-star player. And Northwestern still has the ability to bring in talent like that. And, and it's a really big deal. Another place you really see this historical dominance expressing itself is in the scheduling. And the scheduling, Northwestern's schedule just kind of blows me away. And listeners, I mean, I'm sure like us, like a lot of you, Maybe you've gotten out to the Lakeville to see a women's lacrosse game, or maybe you say to yourself, oh, I haven't gotten out there, but I should. Um, here's the impetus for getting out there, you know, beyond just like your guilt and wanting to see awesome lacrosse in an, um, one of the best locations in the country. We have this status as a traditional power that a Maryland has, you know, that very few women's lacrosse teams have, where it is understood that there is a huge draw. We have this huge coaching tree that Sam alluded to earlier, and teams come to Northwestern to play regardless of rank. I mean, Jiminy Christmas, we have a three-week stretch coming up where we host three of the top 10 teams in the country at home. It's not tournament play. It's not you know any kind of conference thing. These are out-of-conference teams all top 10 teams coming to Evanston to play. Can you imagine that in any, I mean, not even, not even football, basketball. Can you imagine if Welsh Ryan was hosting three top 10 teams in three weeks? But I mean, that's the footprint that Northwestern lacrosse still has. And I think you have all of these factors, the ability to get all these games at home, the ability to pull in these big recruits. And you can kind of see, you know, as Scuzz illustrated that, if if these you know if these girls come back healthy, you know Selena Lasota um, can come back healthy and be a big cog in the machine, um, that this team could really be in for a bounce back year. Well, and the big the big the big bad uh, boogeyman on the schedule is Maryland. It's the last game of the year. It's on the road. Maryland was undefeated last year. They went twenty three and zero and won the national championship. They were incredible, uh, but they have a, had a lot of turnover coming into the season. They lost their two best players, including uh, the Tawarton Award winner uh, and uh, last year's Defender of the Year. They're ranked number one, but um, feels like there's a chance. You know, it, like if, if if things come together well for the Cats and they're able to kind of reestablish uh, that that Kelly Monty Hiller strategy uh, and and dominate gameplay. You know, be able to that that would allow them to slow down uh, Maryland's offense, which is their hallmark right now, and uh, it might it just might give them a shot. It's it's certainly tough being on the road. Uh, there's a lot of time between now and the last game of the season, so we'll see how players develop. Um, obviously, Maryland's you know new uh, new folks on that team and the turnover that that they're going to be dealing with. 
they'll be pretty well established by the end of the season. So and, uh, regardless, it looks like a really, really exciting year um, for, for women's lacrosse and, uh, and, and an opportunity for, for the Cats fans to, to, to jump back aboard and, and really support this team. Yeah, you got uh, Colorado tomorrow, then they're at Duke, then home for Southern Cal, who I, I believe is ranked uh, number six right now. Uh, then Marquette, or, you know, then Stony Brook, uh, who's, what, ranked number two. Uh, then Marquette, uh, then North Carolina, who's ranked number seven. So, uh, John, you mentioned this string of, you know, really, really talented, you know, high-ranked opponents coming into uh, coming onto the Lakeville. Uh, it's just awesome. And, you know, Everyone should, really should go out and, and catch a game. It's, they're really a lot of fun, and you could just you could just throw a dart at the board. It's going to be a top twenty five team. Yeah, it's like only big time lacrosse going on out there. Uh, yeah, so really, really good times. Get out there and check it out. Um, bit of a shorter episode tonight. Uh, you know, not a ton of news coming down the docket, so. We'll go ahead and leave it there for for this evening and as we continue our search for the Swoley Grail. So what's becoming a a long-running series on this podcast, um, this week we have another installment in Don't Send Your Kids to This School. Uh, Tonight's uh, winner is New Mexico where uh, head coach Bob Davey of the football team is embroiled in all sorts of craziness, um, uh, pressure, you know, harassing and abusing his players, uh, in, involving himself in uh, sexual assault cases uh, inappropriately. Gosh knows what else has been going on. I actually didn't realize that Bob Davey kind of has a history of um, nefarious activity at the, at the various stops that he's been at, much like, much like his old boss, Lou Holt. But I mean, bottom line here is that um, the University of New Mexico, in addition to having this uh, jack wagon of a coach who who's been doing all sorts of of uh, unpleasant things, both to his players and uh, uh, to the student body, the administration there is so bass backwards that um, they can't even they can't even figure out how to fire the guy. Um, they don't have money to pay his buyout. Nobody is willing to uh, fire him for cause, even though there's very, there's very clear corroborated, corroborated evidence that he um, inappropriately involved in himself in, uh, in in a sexual assault case, which is uh, completely against university policy, et cetera. Um, and so these administrators, I guess there's like a there's there's kind of like a quasi civil war within the administration about you know who's trying to to take over the presidency and all this sort of other stuff, and just. Get the f out, everyone. Um, you know, add them to the list with Michigan State and and the school in Waco, and let's just stop uh, stop even talking about these places um, until they can get their house in in order and and act like responsible human beings. Here, here, uh, I that one's weird to me because like it seems like New Mexico wants to say they're dragging their feet because. I think they, you know, to their credit, they hired like an independent law firm. And so much of it is like multiple players saying that certain things happen and then other players being like unwilling to corroborate it and stuff like that. And like this lack of a smoking gun. And it's kind of like the same thing. It's right. It's like, look, 
it sure looks like he did it. Just fire him and be like, oh, you want to challenge this in court? Let's go to court. Do you, hey, you re- know, you can give them credit for hiring a, uh, a, uh, independent counsel to, you know, whatever, check this thing out, which is, which is really just a CYA move. But here's the really, the, the really galling, uh, action. They suspended him for 30 days, you know, based on all these allegations and everything while they figure this stuff out. That suspension started the day after National Signing Day. And they they finished their investigation back in, like, January, right? Months before. Uh, yeah, no. So the absolute right. dull time in the schedule for, you know, for football. Yeah, coach, one, t- one, one after the guys... One after the the players have signed and can't leave, yeah. Which is like, oh, I this this new proposed rule to allow players to get out when when coaches are fired or leave, like it, it cannot come soon enough because the, at this point it's the only thing that's going to make these administrations act like responsible human beings. Yep, absolutely, Ugh, ridiculous. Uh, for my final thought, I, I I guess spinning a little bit positive. First of all. I guess I'll split it in half. I do want to mention the Winter Olympics, um, which, again, I I think there's been, like, a lot of a narrative, like, there is every year of, like, no one watches the Winter Olympics. And I think the more accurate way to frame it is, like, no one has any kind of pre-existing knowledge or pre-existing interest in the Winter Olympics every year. But exciting things do happen, and... um, I'm on, like, my sixth straight night of watching the Winter Olympics. uh, I'm literally watching the Winter Olympics right now. (laughs) That's kind of half my point, where it's, like, the... When you actually start watching it, there are some really interesting things that happen. The The men's singles luge final was one of the more exciting sports things I've seen in the past three or four months. Um, it was – there's just – I mean you don't need to know too much about a sport. But when people – the people who win are absolutely losing their minds, that's a good indicator that it's like something that you should be watching. And the men's luge finale, just anytime you have your gold, silver, and bronze medalist all absolutely losing their minds, surrounded by like 20 of their closest friends and family at the moment that they realize they're meddling, like that's what it should be all about. And, and I encourage anyone to watch that. Um, for my, I, re- I still want to know, I still want to know who these people are that aren't watching the Winter Olympics. I know. I. It's the kind of thing, it's just like the X Games. Yes, you don't have any pre-existing knowledge, but channel surf, stop on slope style for one minute and then tell me you're changing the channel for the next half hour. Like, there is something hypnotic about watching people do 1080s on snowboards. Uh, I just, where you're just like, oh my gosh, like, yeah. I don't need to, like, know what the circuit is like or who the top five people are. Like, it's, it's, it translates pretty well. Um, but and, anyway. And, and now the hockey started up, you know, not that the, the men, the U.S. men, you know, went ahead and dropped one to Slovenia last night. But uh, when we're done here, uh, I'm, I plan on turning on the women versus Canada, which is going to be a hell of a game. For sure. Oh, I mean, it's – there's just – I mean – it's just fun stuff. Yes, it's this self-contained bubble that people don't care about for most of the time, but that doesn't mean that the stuff isn't really good when it gets going. Um, anyway, I'll pivot off that. I wanted to just mention that, give us a little time stamp of where we are right now. Um, but I wanted to circle back to something that I mentioned earlier, but but people should really watch it. 
credit to Inside NU, they put a piece up about um, this, how the senior year is going for Northwestern's top recruits. It's mainly just a good vehicle to watch some highlights. Jordan Lathan, in particular, is a guy who did not have a lot of film on him at all through his junior year, but now he has a lot more film. He was supposed to go to IMG. He didn't end up going to IMG. He stayed home in Missouri, and he is just, I mean, man, he's NBA guard body. He's NBA guard body, NBA guard athleticism. He's going to be a 6'4 point guard who can jump. And it is wild to see. But as I alluded to earlier, when you watch the highlights of the other guys, Pete Nance is rated as high as he is just because he has the measurables of an NBA 3. He is not the smoothest guy, but he's 6'9 long and can shoot off the dribble. And the list of guys who can do that is so small that a guy with those kind of tools is just going to be ranked really high. But the guy who just jumps out at you on film is Miller Cop. This guy is a four-star all the way. He is a guy who is super tall, but plays more like a guard, can get his own shot off the dribble, is really comfortable with the ball in the hands. He's an attacker, and that you will see that on film. So if you're looking for a silver lining, do yourself a favor. Go to Inside NU and check out these highlights. These guys are not recruited this highly by accident. They're the real deal. Yeah, maybe they can all hoop this summer with uh, LeBron James and uh, Pete Nance's older brother. Yeah, that's right. Hey, he's cl- he's Larry, Larry Jr. is a little bit closer now, so you're right. Um, my final thought, uh, do, do you want to bring it back to football real quick? Um, Pat Fitzgerald has finished uh, building the coaching staff for next year uh, with the hiring of Jeff Gennick, or I, I, shall I say rehiring. Um, you know, Gennick was a coach back in the – you know, from 94 to 03, uh, you know, when, when we were all in school, honestly, I can say I had no idea who he was back then. Um, he's coming in to Northwestern to be the special teams coordinator. And, you know, I, for the first time, we're actually going to have a dedicated special teams coordinator, which is going to be great. Uh, definitely looking forward to that. Um, you know, with McGarrigal and Iani, we talked about them already. Uh, and, and Gannick, that, that wraps out the the coaching staff. So um, I still haven't seen when spring ball is starting, but, uh, you know, it, it, history is any guideline. It uh, shouldn't, shouldn't be before too long uh, before we start hearing uh, talk of spring ball. Should probably roll right from the Olympics into spring ball, eh? Yeah, probably. Yeah, it's, sadly, the Olympics is filling the spot we thought Northwestern Hoops was going to fill for us. But whatever gets you through the dark days. It's, it's just fun, man. I, I, I love the Winter Olympics. Always great times. I still don't know who's not watching it. Everybody I know is talking about it. I don't know where. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know who who put that bug in your head, John. But hey, no, I I know. Like it's the same thing within my circles too. And and I'm not above watching some figure skating too. Hey, I mean it's all. This is uh, there's a lot of good stuff. I, I completely agree. I'm, we're we're all on the same page. And the thing I love about the Winter Olympics, I saw this really great anecdote um, that I'll, I'll leave you guys with tonight. Uh, you know, Summer Olympics, it's you know who's faster, who's taller, who can jump higher, who can dance their horse better. Uh, you know, basketball is all that. Winter Olympics, it's who's going to avoid death because <laughs> you're doing you're doing your 
figure skating, which is like gymnastics. But if you fall, you're going to hit your head on ice and die. Uh, skeleton. Or slice, lo- or slice hundred, something. Yeah, 100 miles an hour on a luge, right? Yeah, s- slide down a sheet of ice yeah, 100 miles an hour and try not to die. Uh, snowboarding. You know, you're doing, you're doing like four and a half twists in the air. Like the Sochi, the Sochi gold medal winner for half pipe is not at this Olympics because he landed on his face three weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the winter Olympics just come with this danger attached to it, which I just, I, I just love. And, you know, I know watching gymnastics, it's like, Oh, someone falls during the floor routine. It's like, Oh, that's a bummer. Figure skating, someone falls like, oh my god, please don't be dead. So, a little little bit of danger with your Winter Olympics. There's some real life skills, too. I I had some fun on Twitter the other night. Some some bozo uh, from, I don't know, NFL Network or something tweeted something about um, biathlon, which is one of my favorite Olympic sports to watch in the Winter Games. Saying like, "Whoa, what a stupid life skill being able to ski and shoot at the same time." And I was like, "No, that's an actual life skill because you need like your survival rate goes up gargantuanly if you can shoot the bear and ski away at the same time. Like life in the northern reaches of Scandinavia certainly has aspects of that." And then there's a ton of other people who reply to the tweet with shots of like ski troops in world war one and two right uh, like it just it was uh, it was kind of a, a a perfect uh foil for this this numbskull um who clearly doesn't know anything but um yeah i'm sad like the most of the biathlon events i think are already over but i just i love i love the idea of having to calm yourself and shoot after you've been skiing as fast as you possibly can your heart is racing um yeah good good stuff and, and if you miss you have to you know, skate a loop, which adds like 20, 25 seconds mm-hmm. for every mm-hmm. shot you miss, which is just, if you miss the bear, you got it. You got to <laughs> ski faster. Um, <laughs> lastly, curling. I mean, who doesn't love curling? It's just fun. I, you know, I love, I love too how every, every Olympiad, everyone talks about curling like it's the most complicated thing in the world as if we've not all seen shuffleboard before it's (laughs) it's like you really you don't get how it works at all you've never played shuffleboard once on a family trip to florida it's just that on ice well we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week uh Go ahead and head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. You can find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at Westlot Pirates. Call our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And you can email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the Westlot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scousbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.